Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Hey, Brian. Hey, Stephanie. It's Friday. Woo! It's time for Sex and Science Hour. I hope all the Sex and Science Hour sweaties are ready to go. Sweaties. Oh, that's your new phrase. I love that. It's so good. Where did you get that from? That's a long story, but uh, I'll just say it's oh, by you, a guy. You've got to give other right, people credit. I'll just say it's by a guy named John Schnepp, who I, I love his commentary on all what a things. Name. Right, his commentary on all things entertainment related is phenomenal. Uh, he was with Collider and all that, but uh, you know he always talks about getting sweaty and you know. That say, means you're like a fanboy, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Saying like, oh, you know, all you Star Trek sweaties out there, get ready to. And I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm a Star Trek sweaty, absolutely. See, I think that's the key to a successful podcast, like creating a cult. You, not creating a cult, not going that far, but like definitely creating your own jargon, which is a sign of a cult. Yeah, yeah. So we need to have sex and science hour jargon. Okay. I I, I think it needs to come out organically because now I'm drawing a blank. Right. What we could say, but we'll we'll borrow the sweaties from him and we'll we'll think of some other stuff. I think yeah. by, by season three that should be our goal to we'll have, have like a jargon. lexicon of sex and science hour jargon. I love it. <laughs> Anyway, we've got a big show, a uh, packed full of show prep for you today. We'll see if we get to it all. I'm not sure if we will, but uh, <laughs> let's try. First, we had something uh, we talked a couple weeks ago about the DAO and about the idea of like smart contracts in general. And right after we recorded that show, I saw a Facebook post that was very incisive that I wanted to share. Now, I don't usually share Facebook posts on the show, but it was like very relevant to what we were talking about. So anyway, here goes. This is from uh, Dima Mershik from... Uh, uh, mycelium yeah and good guy yes he is i know he has listened to our show in the past i wonder if he still listens yeah he's also a fan will, of sovereign tech yeah and what he will think about us reading his facebook post but he said the dao incident is a good if rather strict lesson on digital smart contracts and how they have to be extremely precise specific and account for any discrepancies and it won't be the only lesson i realized this a while ago while considering the possibilities of auger contracts now auger is like a prediction market that is based Built on, on ethereum. ethereum and yeah. smart contracts and uh it's kind of interesting how it works but i can see his problem so getting back to his email for instance say there's a prediction or betting contract that's created that will pay out five million u.s dollars if ross ulbricht is no longer in prison after two years and ross ulbricht is of course the uh, alleged creator of the silk road who is now serving a life sentence i think yeah pending, that might be pending right. appeal yeah 
we, you know, so he, he's in for now. So anyway, he says, what if there's an auger contract that's created that will pay out $5 million if Ross is no longer in prison after two years? You would think that this is an incentive for the judge or someone in the legal system to overturn Ross's ruling where they bet yes and make it happen and collect the money. However, if the contract isn't specific enough, it could just as easily be claimed by an inmate who kills Ross and leaves him in a body bag where he's still technically no longer in prison. Right. If digital smart contracts, he says, become the norm in our future, we're all going to have to learn to use words very precisely. Yeah. And I completely agree with that. Not just words, but code. Right? Because like now when you write a contract, you have to worry about being precise with your wording so that someone can't get by on a technicality. And I think it's it's harder. I mean, there are still people who quote get off on a technicality mm-hmm. not get off like they like it and they get pleasure from it but <laughs> well they might get off of like get acquitted or something or get let off of a of a accusation or what i, I don't know the legal terms but sure. they don't have to go to jail or they don't have to pay out in a lawsuit right. because of a technicality right but i think that's harder in a system where there's human beings and they're like yeah well maybe technically but still that's not the spirit of the law or whatever mm-hmm. you know um but with smart contracts, it is hyper-literal. You know, like the attacker with this DAO hack or whatever basically used the smart contract as it was written, found a technicality or a loophole that hadn't been spotted by anyone else, I guess, right. and exploited it and used it to move the ether into a child DAO. And it was completely within the rules of the of the smart contract as, as it was written. It was just yeah. poorly written and it allowed that kind of exploit. Right. Technically, it was not theft. And this has been confirmed by people even in Ethereum or mm-hmm. involved with Ethereum. I and it's say. a huge mess because, you know, now they're trying to do a, a soft fork or a hard fork or something like that to, like, um, eliminate any mention of, like, that Ether or something like, I don't know. Yeah, um, make it, like, unusable. To make it unusable, yeah. yeah to, to try to, like, write this wrong. But it's there's all kinds of technical problems with that because how do you actually accomplish that? And mm-hmm. I guess there was a proposed solution that the Ethereum miners were like, yes, that sounds good. Let's do it. But then somebody found a flaw in that proposed solution that would have created another huge vulnerability in all of Ethereum if the miners had adopted it. And so it's just a huge mess. I don't personally think the world is ready for smart contracts of this complex nature. Maybe very, very simple smart contracts, I suppose, but I just certainly don't want to be the first one to use them, and I certainly don't want to be the one to work out all the bugs in the code or whatever. Yeah. And I, I'm, just not con- I'm just not crazy about the idea of contracts in general. Like, I don't know about you, Brian, but I was saying to you off the air, like, when is the last time you remember signing a contract that was beneficial to you? Because, <laughs> you know, like, contracts are usually written written in general in the world we live in today contracts are usually written to benefit the person who writes the contract and the Mm -hmm. person who writes the contract is usually a lawyer for a big corporation it's you cannot get out of this cell phone plan for two years without paying this exorbitant termination fee yeah and you can't do that and you can't it says unlimited data but you really can't use five more than five gigabytes a month before we start to throttle you and so forth and like The contracts are always written to benefit the person who writes them. And I don't know, like, I have a lot of clients that I deal with for my voiceover work. 
And pretty much we do everything based on just agreements. Like we'll, we'll make an agreement by email. Okay, this is the deadline. I think I can get it done by. This is how much I'm going to charge, you know. And they say, okay, that sounds good. And if I have to, you know, later, oh, I have a cold or I got busy or whatever, I, can, I can't make this deadline. I missed it. Mm-hmm. The, I, the client says, yeah, that's fine, you know, whatever. They, they don't like, <laughs> I mean... It, it would it would almost be like inefficient and silly to do that with like contracts and to like involve the legal system because these are like kind of small jobs. And I mean, well, I can see like having to cover your ass, but so much of that is based on the the legal structure that we have today. You know what I mean? Like with with HIPAA and all the ways that like doctors can get sued. And it's it, it's just it's this big bureaucratic mess. And I think for most people, day to day dealings contracts aren't really that relevant anyway you know what i'm saying and right f- and for these big for contracts between like big corporations like mergers and and stuff like that and um the business that companies do with each other or like big entities do with each other um i think they would maybe be too complex anyway to put into smart contract form well they don't have to be uh, because you have like the golden agreement between Levi and that other gene company where for a hundred years they've just said, okay, we're not going to, you know, step on each other's toes and, right. and we're, this is how we're going to do business going forward. And it was a handshake. Mm-hmm. There is nothing written down. There's nothing at all. So even, you know, with multinationals, quote unquote, you could, you don't have to get into this level of complexity. It's uh, so silly though. Like, I mean, we, you know, live in New Hampshire and we live, we know we are looped into a community of People who claim to be very interested in contracts and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the non-aggression principle uh, don't commit force or fraud. And, you know, so many times when people have these interpersonal disputes, someone starts a dramatic thread about it on Facebook and inevitably a person jumps in and said, well, did you have a contract to cover yeah. all the po-? And it's like, no, for most of your personal dealings, you don't make contracts, especially if it's for like something that's worth a hundred bucks. Like, who cares? Yeah, right? it, it becomes no. <laughs> insulting to our humanity, I think at that point right. in, in many ways yeah yeah i mean to, to answer your question when's the last time you know a, a contract that i was involved in a contract that was like beneficial to me uh frankly i don't think anyone's ever been in a contract that's beneficial to them unless they had an army of lawyers behind them yeah uh, because that's and, and that's what people miss with contracts is that it always comes down to enforcement and even if because somebody will say well what about like i don't know a wrestler or a singer that signs this multi-year contract or rush limbaugh gets a uh i don't know a 40 million dollar decade-long contract or something like this you know aren't those very beneficial of course they are but why are because they beneficial if it's to them written to, by rush limbaugh's lawyers yeah. right because it's gone by them exactly because it's gone through his his legal team Okay, and that's the thing is that there is this kind of the strange little enforcement body that kind of stands behind them that says, oh, no, we're going to make sure we're going to double check. Otherwise, no, there, there, there'd probably be a line in there that says something like, and we can choose to, to avoid this at any right. given time. Right. Um, also, in, you know, in common law, you've always had the ability to sign something with the statement, uh, uh, you know, without prejudice. Meaning Which that, means that it like you're signing something and you think you understand it a certain way. Right. But if they've tricked you somehow with the wording, then your signature is no longer valid. That's basically what. Yes. Yeah. So prejudice why this means right. Yeah. Without. Yeah. Without prejudice. Yeah. Right. So why did, was that come up with? You know, because they knew this kind of shit would happen and that, you know, there needs to be some understanding of the human condition. OK, that that computers just can't provide you know in fact i saw somebody kind of respond to uh to to this post in particular where they made the statement that yeah i kind of feel like lawyers are the original hackers like that they were you know they just legalese was their c plus plus 
Okay. And, and I think mm. that that's a really interesting concept. And I'm not saying I dig lawyers necessarily. I mean, I know some and they're, they're wonderful people, but you know, the profession itself, I wish didn't exist, uh, in many ways. It's, I, it's become very corrupt, I guess you could say like there, you know, I think there's a, some people who become lawyers with like the best of intentions yeah. for helping people, but yeah. there are also some people who become lawyers and they end up doing things that are just morally bankrupt, you know, like getting people who have hurt others mm -hmm. to walk free and, you know, to not have to pay the consequences and, and, uh, you know, structuring legal documents and contracts and stuff like that and doing really tricky things, you know, and it's yeah. like lawyers don't have a good reputation in society. And that is because some lawyers are really like, like that and they screw people over. Sure. Yeah. Or uh, they assist others in screwing people over, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I mean, there's ways to I, people get really lost. And I mean, I, I say this a lot. What I think is really disruptive and innovative is eliminating institutions, not just digitizing them or putting them onto blockchains. Yeah, okay, exactly. that's that's creating a whole new set of problems. Right, that's what's exciting to me. And one of the, you know, speaking of upcoming developments in the crypto space, you have uh, Zcash, which is on its way. Which I've been following Zcash used to be zero coin. I've been following it for years. Um, and one of the initial use cases that came up for it is like, well, okay, you know, we're going to anonymize everything, but you could effectively see a bill of sale on, you know, on something to where you could at least verify that somebody bought something on such and such a day. Right. Okay. This is fine. I, the idea of a bill of sale is that simple thing that people recognize between each other that are very basic. Uh, when you're doing a, just a normal interaction, it doesn't require a contract. Oh, you, you bought this for the, you know, it's not this long drawn out thing that has some kind of big, you know, major legal standing around it. There's very simple pieces of, you know, effectively, however, whatever sh shape they take pieces of paper that can help respect privacy or uh, property, I should say, or possessions. I mean, because that's what people really get freaked out about here is we need contracts to, you know, to ensure the security of my possessions of my property. All right. And I just think there's a million other ways to do that. I mean, a million other ways, and, and they've been around forever and they're simple and they don't require, you know, the complexity. Complexity is the enemy of security. It doesn't require Ethereum to, to do all this stuff. Yeah, I know. And there's, there's a couple of layers of complexity too, right? Because like we could be very precise with our language, but if the code isn't quite right, there could be another problem. Right. And not everybody can read code. So the thing that I always, th that always comes up for me is do we all have to become coders and lawyers in order to interpret smart contracts and understand what we're signing on to? Yeah. How is that making life easier for anybody? And that's the right. fucking claim is that this is going to make things more efficient. Yeah, it's going to make gonna life automate. easier. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I mean, yeah, it's a mess waiting to happen to turn everybody into a bunch of goddamn Vulcans. You know, <laughs> it's like, well, according to this uh, precept and law, blah, 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 I mean, it, well, even what Vulcans, are you even Vulcans lie sometimes and can be deceptive, right? <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy. Like, I, I, I know there's there's a lot of people that are, you know, still hard up about having laws of some kind or anything. But like, you know, I look, there's an old statement and you got to be careful with how this gets used. But there's a statement by Thomas Jefferson. OK, which is never don't let the law get in the way of doing the right thing. Mm. All right. And is that like, don't let your learn, don't let your education get in the way of your learning or something? Yeah. It's yeah. kind of the same idea. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But the idea right. is remember the point. Yeah. Right? The, I, right. The idea is there's a morality that stands above all of your code and all of your law. 
Okay. And don't let that stop, you know, morality from having its day. Yeah. Don't let it stop you from doing the right thing. Right. Trying to follow the law. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Because the law and the right thing are not always the same thing. Right. uh, At one time, it was illegal to harbor fugitive slaves in the United States. Right. right. And (laughs) so you're helping people escape from slavery was was a crime. Yeah, absolutely. So I in Nazi Germany, right? Like the people who housed Anne Frank, they were like fugitives as well. Yeah. So, I mean, and there's multiple more examples. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, and you could say, well, you voluntarily sign up for this stuff and yada, yada. You don't. You're born into a a plot of land and you don't choose it. And then you're like, uh, and then someone tells you at some point when they think you're an adult, well, you're subject to all these laws. If you don't like it, you can leave. And actually, you can't really leave because... Well, at least the U.S. makes it really hard for you. And also, where do you go? Yeah, well, that's the thing. (laughs) This voluntary argument becomes very, very specious very quickly in many ways. Because, you know, what if, I mean, there's lots of people, and I'm sure there's companies for Ethereum or, you know, that want to work on the Ethereum blockchain that are all about putting your birth certificates and your IDs and everything onto. Oh, yes, uh, there are. Right. Now, did the child get to choose that? No. No. Oh, I'm glad the parents did. But did the child? No. Well, then what is the child? Is the child little human or not? You know, I mean, and that, well, of course, granted, a lot of people think, you know, kids aren't, aren't people. Uh, so, so I guess if, if that's, if that's the way you're way of thinking, there's a problem right there. It's one thing, it's one thing to think of a child as, as not really like a person or as someone who needs help, but it's a, a whole nother thing to think of them as a entry in the blockchain. You know? Right. Yeah. But that's, what's <laughs> going to be happening. I mean, so to some degree, a lot of these systems, or what if they go to a school system to where they have to log into Ethereum to access all their data? Yeah. Is that voluntary now? Mm. You know, well, it's I, happening with Google already. Right. Yeah. That, this is exactly what's happening. Because I, I love school that. issued Chromebooks and you have to have a Google ID to right. log in. And, you know, I love that argument that, well, having a Google account is is voluntary bullshit. Mm. Not if you're in not if you're in a, a, a school or in an area, a state or a part of the world where public education, say, is mandatory or education, some kinds mandatory. Yep, you cannot unschool. compulsory schooling, right? Yep. Compulsory schooling. And then you have a school issued Chromebook and you have to have a Google ID to sign into it. Yeah. Google having a Google account is not voluntary. No, in that it's case. not. Right. <laughs> I mean, and you could say, well, then the parents need to get out of that geographic area. Okay, fine. But then let's just be clear, though, within that geographic area, no, it is not voluntary anymore. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to calm down. I, I need to take a shower, I'll tell you. If you want to hear more talk like this. Oh, you, you were trying to do a segment. That was so cool. <laughs> so you, if you want to hear more talk about stuff like this, and if you like the maybe a little more political talk and talk about tech stuff, check out Brian's podcast. It's called Sovereign Tech, S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech. And uh, it's a technology podcast, but it's also about life and doing the right thing. Yeah, it's about ethics, too. I really like that. Yeah, so. and I love it when you're on, and your points here have, have been solid, and you're one of the rare voices, Stephanie, I just want to say this, that is talking about this whole Ethereum situation in major venues, Let's Talk Bitcoin, whatever else, oh, thank that's you really so much. laying out some fucking sanity. I, uh, I appreciate you acknowledging me, because I never, whenever we have conversations like this, I'll admit, I never feel like I get I, I never feel like anyone is actually listening to what I'm saying. Right. Like they they kind of just dismiss me as like a Luddite or something because I don't like Ethereum. And then, you know, I admit that I don't have like the best form technical arguments because I don't. Yeah, I don't understand like how Ethereum mining works and the code and all that shit. But I, I can I understand like a high level overview and I I understand enough to have valid concerns and I, I don't know if it's because I'm a woman or what, but, oh, this is going to piss off people. But yeah, I just feel like I constantly get like ignored and stepped on and like nobody really 
cares what I have to say and nobody gives me credit for being like a skeptic and um, of Ethereum. And I have been for a really long time. So, well, I mean, you have an incredible ability to learn and you have a fantastic moral compass. And those those skills are far more important than any technical knowledge on the planet. Yeah. Thank Uh, you. So so there there you have it. I'll tell you, I'm glad to have a break from the Bitcoin world sometimes. I'm, <laughs> sometimes I'm really glad I don't work for like a Bitcoin company or have a Bitcoin company because, Aye. you know, it's been an interest and a hobby of mine for years, but it's not the end all be all. And it's really nice to be able to get away from that world once in a while. Absolutely. So. Anyway, um, it's it's nice to be able to tune out the world and take a shower. Yeah, right? that's the best time to tune out the world. I was world. debating between that and sometimes we get so busy, we don't even have a chance to take a shower. I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> this is the article we were going to open up the show with before we started on that tangent. Um, and it's called, I Quit Showering and Life Continued. All right. Isn't that interesting? So this is from The Atlantic by James Hamblin. We spend two full years of our lives washing ourselves. How much time and mo- how much of that time and money and water is a waste? Well, now it's become trendy lately to get back to the dirt and uh, yeah. embrace embrace your hippie side and and uh, get those good bacteria all over you to eschew antibacterial soaps and then soaps at all. You know, right? <laughs> Some people now are saying you shouldn't use soap at all because it gets rid of the good bacteria and we have a skin microbiome just like our gut microbiome and just like you shouldn't take antibiotics, you shouldn't wash yourself with harsh detergents because it kills off the good bacteria that protect you from the bad. Well, there's a theory, right, that that this microbiome, this natural one that you develop, that you would develop by, you know, not showering and cleaning all the time would actually prevent uh, uh, prevent you from smelling. It would uh, like it, right. it can prevent all kinds of because like that. That's the narrative, right? Is that all oh, cavemen, those smelly, you know, fucks or oh, something yeah, like medieval that. Medieval people, they didn't bathe except once in their life. Right. When actually, you know, I mean, the only there was a stench around it all. It was probably just, you know, b- bad sanitation right. of like shit, not of, you know, people not washing or something like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it it just seems out of this world to me that like people would rather walk around stinking and gagging on their own smell than just jump in a lake. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you don't need a shower. You like, and you don't need like a fancy bath or even soap. Just right. jump in a fucking river and right. get get yourself a little bit cleaner, and it'll make a difference. You won't stink so bad. So um, what happened? With so this maybe guy? they didn't stink anyway. So he says uh, we spend. He says 12,167 hours of washing our bodies. That's how much life you use if you spend 20 minutes a day washing and moisturizing your skin and hair. And if you live to be 100, as we all surely will, (laughs) that's a big (laughs) if. This adds up to nearly two entire years of washing every waking hour. So he's saying like two years out of your life is just devoted to showering. Yeah. Not to mention water usage and the cost of cosmetic products. Oh, shit. I well, just... you don't have to do the cosmetic products, right? Like, I think a lot of those people are already skip. I know, Stephanie, you don't you don't use shampoo, correct? I don't use shampoo. Yeah, I gave that up about maybe three years ago. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, my, my head doesn't get oily. My hair is just nice. Now, I have curly hair, which needs more moisture and the natural oils and all that. Right. Um, maybe it's better. It's It might be a little harder for straight-haired people to do. But I don't think it's... I don't think it's impossible and maybe we're onto something like I like it much better. Mm -hmm. I have not given up soap that I feel a little hung up on. I don't want to turn into a dirty hippie and not (laughs) saying that all hippies are dirty, but I have some, I have some 
psychological barriers to it, let's mm-hmm. just say. Uh, I'm not completely convinced that it would really be good, and I'm not sure if I want to go through the adjustment period of trying it because I'm worried that I'm going to smell really bad. Right. So, uh, I mean, I will maybe say... Maybe getting there, maybe I'll try it. Um, you know, if there was some good evidence that if you just stop using soap, then your skin would be better, I would be all for it because I actually have like some skin issues. I have allergies and eczema on my skin. And I especially food allergies when I have a bad flare up, I get these like patches on my hands where the skin breaks down and it's, it's really bad. Um, Food allergies make it worse. But like, maybe if I stopped washing my hands and stopped using soap, the, the thought of that sounds gross saying it out loud. But if that could cure my allergies and eczema, like I would totally do it. Maybe yeah. I should just try it. Well, you know, I'll just say quickly, I mean, we didn't even get into what this guy's experiment was, uh-huh. but like anecdotally, when I was younger, I remember going to Czechoslovakia and at the time it was Czechoslovakia right? and like people, people didn't shower for like maybe some of them once a month, you know, wow. I mean, like, like that was commonplace. And it was shocking to me. And there's other parts of Europe apparently where this is so. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm just speaking anecdotally, but nobody stunk. Like right. I, I would have noticed and I would have said something because I was I was a kid that spoke his mind. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was I like, mean, wow. Okay. At one point, people were going around saying you need to wash out the inside of your vagina with soap and water and look mm-hmm. where that got us. I mean, that's not it's not necessary. And we know now that it's good. It's actually cleaner and better to have it populated by yeah. good bacteria because they help keep out like they make hydrogen peroxide. They kill off the yeast. They perform a protective layer and barrier. So maybe like all of our skin is like that. Um, I'm actually kind of curious about this, even despite my hangups. I, I think it's fascinating. I am too. And I mean, maybe if your flora is if your skin flora is in a good balance and if you do have that good skin microbiome, um, you don't need soap and soap is actually bad because it disrupts it and it right. makes bad bugs be able to get in right i mean personally i'm a, I'm a two shower a day kind of guy like that's <laughs> that's my preference but i'm intrigued by you're this. wasting your life brian yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well let's get more into this article a little bit so the guy says that adds up to nearly two entire years you spend of of your life that would be equivalent to spending two years in the shower 24-7, not to mention water usage and the cost of cosmetic products, which we need, because commercials tell us to remove the oil from our skin with soap and then moisturize with lotion. Yeah, that is kind of insane to me. Hmm. That's the whole theory behind the no shampoo thing. It's like you're stripping the natural oils off of your hair with the shampoo, and then you're trying to replace them with the conditioner. Like, why not just <laughs> not remove them? It doesn't make sense. And then um, other commercials, he says, tell us to remove the oils from our hair and then moisturize with conditioner. Yeah, that's what I just said. There's That's four products plus a lot of water and time, and few people question whether it's anything short of necessary. It's not just the fault of advertising, but also because most of us know from personal experience that if we go a few days without showering, even one day, we become oily, smelly beasts. Now, I don't know about oily. I don't... I, my skin is not oily, but I know some people who do have oily skin. Yes. And yeah, it does get kind of thick after a little while. Yeah. Um, but again, like with the no shampoo thing, that's the idea. Like when you first, when your scalp gets used to having shampoo on, on it all the time mm-hmm. and it produces more oil to keep up with having the oil stripped away every day. So if you stop stripping the oil away, there's like a feedback mechanism that your scalp doesn't produce as much because it doesn't, it, it doesn't get washed away. Right. So maybe it's the same thing with your skin. You know, I will say this. I have never washed my face the like face? I, with soap. 
Okay. Because my skin on my face has always been kind of sensitive and dry. Mm-hmm. I just, I wash it in the shower, like with water, but I've never used like facial cleansers or any of that shit. Like, yeah. I just remember in high school, like all of my friends were washing their faces with these soaps and like these four step systems to try to get rid of their acne. And like they had oily, pimply teenager faces. And I didn't yeah. have that. Luckily, I, I was, I was pretty good on acne. I never really got it. But, it it just seemed crazy to me to spend like 30 minutes a day just washing your face and putting all these detergents on it when it was already like inflamed and irritated with acne, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, anytime I ever get a zit or anything like I know it is absolutely about diet. That's yeah, what it is. It has so, nothing. I know what I ate and what caused it. Right. Yeah. I mean, there used to be this myth that like French fries would give you zits. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true, not because French fries are greasy. People used to think it was the fat in the French fries and that if you were to just eat like potatoes, you'd be fine. And that's probably true. But now I think there's more information that's come out that it's not it's not that there is fat in the it's not just any kind of fat that will give you acne. Mm -hmm. It is like the inflammatory fats because they use these rancid vegetable oils to fry French fries in and there's trans fats and all of those things are very inflammatory. And then nut and seed oils, which have a lot of um, omega-6 fatty acids, which the balance between omega-3 and omega-6 kind of fine tunes inflammation Mm -hmm. in your body. And uh, your immune system uses that as fuel to make more or less inflammatory chemicals that tell your immune cells to to go there and like get inflamed. So I, I didn't do a very good job of explaining it. But basically, the oils that French fries are fried in are very inflammatory. Yeah. And it's not that they're fat. It's that they're inflammatory. Right. And the inflammation is what's giving you acne. Right. So exactly. that's like that would be like the new theory. So, yeah, I agree. It's an inside job. I mean, yeah, it, when when you have a skin problem, I'm I'm pretty convinced by all the evidence I've seen and read, and I've read a lot because I do have some skin problems, this eczema stuff. And um, when you have a skin problem, it's an inside job to fix it. It's about what you're eating. It's not about what's – it might be about, like, allergens that your skin is getting exposed to, but usually it's, like, an internal problem. Yeah. And you can at least make it better with diet. So here we go uh, back into the article here. I feel like maybe maybe he's not saying anything new. Like this is stuff that some people, i.e. hippies or just people who are into natural living, like have known for years that you shouldn't use these harsh detergents and like. Yeah, um, you no, know. it's true. I, I read the article. I mean, and I and I read it and I'm like, well, you know, Mother Earth News was saying that 50 years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But now it's in the Atlantic. So. Yeah. <laughs> and he's writing an entertaining article. So yeah. he says, um, so what if you just push through the oiliness and smelliness, embrace it and just just go forward. Out of curiosity, not laziness, I tried it. At first, I was an oily, smelly beast. <laughs> the odor of bodies is the product of bacteria that live on our skin and feed off of the oily secretions in our sweat and the sebaceous glands at the base of our hair follicles. Applying detergents or soaps to our skin and hair every day disrupts a sort of balance between skin oils and the bacteria that live on our skin. When you shower aggressively, you obliterate those ecosystems. They repopulate quickly, but the species are out of balance and tend to favor the kind of microbes that produce odor. But after a while, the idea goes, oh, but after a while, the idea goes, your ecosystem reaches a steady state and you stop smelling bad. I mean, you don't smell like rose water or Axe body spray, but you don't smell like BO either. You just smell (laughs) like a person. (laughs) Because evolutionarily, why would we be so disgusting that we need constant cleaning? Indeed, this is like all the stuff we already said, and I didn't even read the article, so I didn't even know. (laughs) And constant moisturizing and or de-oiling? Really? 
If we do allow our oil glands and bacteria to equilibrate, the theory goes, skin would stop fluctuating between oily and dry. In our video series, If Our Bodies Could Talk, we've been exploring the, exploring the microbiome in a three-episode series. The final segment's out today. In it, I talk with microbiologist Martin Blazer about the consequences of, eliminate, of cleaning our bodies as avidly as many people do. I also talk with a scientist at a biotech company called AO Biome that is selling, or maybe it's Alpha Omega Biome, that is selling live bacteria for people to spray on their skin in an attempt to create a more earthy ecosystem. And now we've talked about that before, mm -hmm. where this bacteria comes from horses, which people notice that horses roll around in the dust and they sweat a lot, but they don't stink. Right. And how is that possible? Well, because there's bacteria in the dirt that are basically converting the ammonia. They're breaking down the the urea into ammonium or something like that. It, it, they're converting it to something that doesn't smell, something that's in their sweat to something that doesn't stink. Yeah. Um, and they're good bacteria. In the course of meeting these people and thinking more about skin microbes, I started using less soap, less shampoo, and less deodorant, and showering less. Now, does it work if you just cut back, or do you have to go all the way? I would think it's like going gluten-free. Like, you have to go hardcore. Like, you can't just cut back on gluten, and it doesn't it doesn't work that way, right? Yeah. It's all or nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would think if, like, you, you, you went down to, like, one shower a week and just did that consistently— yep you're going to stink. Yeah. <laughs> because I mean like that's yeah, you got to go all the way. You, you it's all in or absolutely. Right. You know, probably shaving your armpits and stuff affects it too. Cuz yep. I know like if I if I let my hair grow out, this is gross, but guys <laughs> and women both, hair traps bacteria, yep. right? And so if you let your hair grow out long, it you your armpits actually smell worse like yeah so i've had times where i've waxed my armpits so i had no armpit hair smooth as brian sovereign's bald head Woo. and i didn't smell and i didn't really need deodorant i shave my armpits for the same reason yeah I don't but smell. i don't know if shaving yeah. works i think you might have to get the hair at the root because if there's like a little bit of hair it could still be holding on to bacteria and maybe mm. not as much of it as it's huge long hair but um i feel i noticed the difference but yeah. anyway yeah yeah anyway so i i thought that was really interesting um he says i still wash my hands all the time which remains an extremely important way to prevent communicable diseases i wonder if he's just saying that for like social you know what i mean like mm -hmm. <laughs> you know i so here's the thing i told you i have this hand eczema like allergy thing right and my hands are sensitive to soaps like certain soaps when i worked at the at the hospital when i was in med school oh god those soaps would just destroy my hands they'd be cracking bleeding painful and you don't want bleeding hands when you work in healthcare, and you don't want to have no, to wear gloves not. all yeah. the time so i would try to wash my hands and it was just this huge problem because i was allergic to all the soaps even the ones for like quote sensitive skin but when i'm in a bat when i'm in a public bathroom with someone else I have this dilemma because sometimes I don't want to use the soap to wash my hands, but I also don't want to be seen not washing my hands with soap because it's like socially unacceptable. Yeah. I'm afraid someone's going to call me out on it and say, that's disgusting. You were just in the bathroom. You have to wash your hands with soap. Mm. You know, I, I, so yeah, I think society's kind of gotten beyond that but yeah i don't know i mean i definitely i i always end up using the soap because i feel the peer pressure but yeah. when i'm at home i don't i use dr bronner's soap or no soap mm -hmm. sometimes depending on how dirty i perceive my hands oh to man be. no one's coming to this house yeah. <laughs> good that's the way i like it <laughs> 
Um, he says, I still rinse off elsewhere when I'm visibly dirty, like after a run or if I have to wash gnats off my face. Ew. Is that like driving a car when the bugs hit your windshield and so. you go for a run? But And there is still the matter of society. If I have bedhead, I lean into the shower and wet my hair, but I don't use shampoo or body soap and almost never get into a shower. At first, I did smell bad, especially when I went without deodorant. I didn't quit cold turkey. I transitioned from a traditional aluminum-based stick to soap walla, which is natural plant oils and starches. Aluminum is the, quote, active ingredient in many deodorants, especially, specifically because it works as an antibiotic, as annoying as it is when things are marketed as, quote, natural, because what does that mean? Soap walla works well, he says, but lately I've stopped using that, too. So maybe a little product placement there. I don't know. I'll have to yeah. check that out. And everything is fine, he says. I wake up, get out the door in minutes. Times when I've smelled bad before, I just don't. At least to my nose. I've asked friends to smell me, and they insist that it's all good. Well, maybe this is all there possible. There you go. Do you want to try it, Brian? No. No. <laughs> Not ready to give that up. I think we're halfway there. Yeah. You know, I've stopped using shampoo and I use natural deodorant with colloidal silver. Oh, God, I'm such... <laughs> I feel like I'm more hippie than I've let on, maybe. I love showers, yeah. though. Like, that's yeah, the thing. There's fun, a subjective value of enjoying the shower, you All know, right. even so though not, it takes your time. Not quite ready to give it up just yet. yet. Especially snooping in a shower. Oh, that's so much fun. <laughs> well, nobody said we have to give that up. <laughs> There's more coming up here on Sex and Science Hour. Oh, we're back. Oh, wow. Did you we know, even we, stop? We had, no, we didn't. And this is like a running joke. We are on lucky number 13 episode of season two. Oh, it's going to be our big break. It, oh, I think we've, we had our big break. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, you're right. Because season one of Sex and Science Hour got super popular. Um, it'll be there forever. Like, I always tell friends, like, they're like, oh, I want to listen to your podcast, but I don't have time right now. I'm like, you know what? Relax. It'll be there. We're just, we record an episode every week and we put it out, but we're building up a, a bunch of content so that maybe later in the future, 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 <laughs> you can go back and listen to all the old ones and you can love it. And we try to make it kind of timeless. Yeah, I think it's pretty evergreen, especially since we don't really talk about politics. Uh-huh. And even when we talk about, you know, some current events, it's always it's, based it's upon what I consider timeless principles. Yep. Yep. So I agree. So yeah. Anyway. Instead of copying and pasting the link for our next story, I just accidentally deleted it. But we're gonna, oh, good job. We're gonna. <laughs> <that's> <laughs> why, this is live radio, folks. Not really. It's yeah. not, not really live radio. But anyway, for the science segment, we we spent uh, quite a long time on our intro segment, longer than we usually do. But for our science segment, we have two articles. We're going to see if we can cover them both, um, and they're both about cell phones and how they affect your health. <laughs> now, this is interesting because I've always sort of wondered about this, like. You know, smartphones have all only really been ubiquitous for like the last 10 2007, years. I'd say. Yeah. Like it's the iPhone that really made it a thing. Yep, yeah. I agree. Um, it, it's really only, they've really only been so such like almost extensions of our body and been mm-hmm. next to us at all fucking times, even more sleeping for the last decade. And so we really don't know what, if any, the long-term health consequences are. Same thing with Wi-Fi. It hasn't, yeah. I mean, I suppose there's always been like microwaves and shit like that. But I remember in the 90s, there were people concerned about cooking food in the microwave mm-hmm. because like, and then like my mom would always tell me like, don't stand in front of the microwave because she was worried that like the waves would get out past 
pass that wave guard. Oh, yeah. There, there's people that would say pregnant women shouldn't have the like their belly near the microwave. Or oh, my God. It yeah. It affects the baby. And some supposedly there's been cases where it's true, supposedly, now, where it's created a problem. I, I don't know about that because there yeah. is that wave. So the thing on the front of your microwave, there's always like a black screen with little yeah. holes. It's a mesh. And the idea is that... Basically, the microwaves, the wavelength of the microwaves is too large to fit through that. Correct. So it's screening out 99.999% of the microwaves. And also, microwaves are, you know, not that big of a deal. Anyway, if they're bouncing around inside a little box, yeah, they're going to heat up water molecules and uh, mm-hmm. other molecules, and that's how they heat up food. But they're probably not, it, you know, if they get, if they happen to get out the microwave door, it's not like they're in a confined space. They're probably not going to do any damage. Yeah. So, I mean... I can see that from a scientific perspective, but I do kind of wonder, like, what are the health effects of phones? Some people swear that they can feel Wi-Fi, like that they can sense it in a way that most people can't, that they get headaches. They say that they hear this constant, like, buzzing. Their heart rate supposedly goes up. Yeah. And supposedly there are some studies that show that, like, everybody's heart rate goes up a little bit if they're right next to a Wi-Fi repeater or a router or something. Yeah, people talk about Bluetooth as well. Bluetooth, yeah, yeah. uh, That's another one, because there's different classes of Bluetooth. There's class one, class two, class three. And then there's people who are concerned that that uh, companies are lying about which version of Bluetooth they're putting in devices. So even if you could prove that a specific class, like a class three or whatever Bluetooth device was harmful to humans, they would just say, well, you're actually using class one. But then really they put in a class three or something. Right. I, mean, I mean, this 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 goes in all kinds of wild areas. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can get in. It's it's hard to sort out fact from fiction. I mean, I think it's OK to be like a little bit concerned. And sure. there certainly is nothing wrong with taking digital detoxes once in a while where Absolutely. you go camping and don't check your don't bring your phone or whatever yeah um <laughs> your friends might be like why didn't you answer within one second oh. but <laughs> well you see that's not a problem with smartphones it's a problem with people and people's expectations <laughs> yeah. have adjusted to the constant availability of phones but anyway right. here i have a story about two women going blind after checking their phones in bed now this is kind of bizarre by angela chen from gizmodo um Two poor souls suffered through MRIs, heart scans, and other medical tests to figure out what was causing them to go blind for up to 15 minutes at a time. So I guess temporary blindness, that's good. It's not permanent. Yeah. But still weird. Why is that happening? After discovering that checking their phones in bed was to blame, one woman still couldn't stop. Such is the power of technology. So can you imagine that? It made her go blind for 15 minutes but then she couldn't stop. Like, talk about those apps that look. lock you out from Facebook after you've yeah. been on for an hour or something. And they'd like, no more for next 24 hours. Like, yeah. she's got a built-in one, but she still couldn't stop. The women, ages 22 and 40, were understandably very concerned about what seemed like recurring vision loss, according to an article in the New England Journal of Medicine. Oh, God, I have to say, that's awesome. I'm. It's kind of funny that Gizmodo picked that up, but... When I I went to medical school in 2006 to 2008, Mm -hmm. and I used to follow the New England Journal of Medicine. We would all like all my classmates would stand around and we'd look at the NEJM website (laughs) because they have all these weird cases and they like they they would put up just a crazy fucking picture, Mm -hmm. like whether it's an X-ray of someone and they have this like thing that looks like scissors in their abdomen. And it says, what is the diagnosis? Yeah. And it has like a multiple choice 
choice usually and then you can click on it and find out if you were right right um or just some crazy thing and like what is the diagnosis and it's really cool and it's a cool learning tool and it's just crazy even if you're not a doctor and you're not trying to learn medicine it's amazing to see some of these pictures that they come up with and like (laughs) how did they find this patient um so anyway i guess this must have been reported in the new england journal of medicine they they kind of have a reputation for having the craziest cases and doing case studies that are just like unbelievable out of this world, which is a great way to market and sell your medical journal, by the way. Yeah. Isn't it? Like get, get people to tune in with this weird medicine shit. (laughs) (laughs) So they say after the medical tests were inconclusive, they went to an eye doctor who simply asked them where they were when the blindness started. That's a good question to start with. Mm -hmm. Um, Good interviewing physical exam. It turns out they were in bed, which doctors determined was the root of the ailment. The problem isn't caused by being in bed. The issue is that both women check their phones with one eye on the screen and the other covered by a pillow. Where the phone eye adapts to the light by being less dilated, the pillow eye is more dilated and adapts to the dark. After the phone is switched off, the phone eye takes a while to adjust to the dark and catch up to the pillow eye, causing a feeling of temporary blindness. Isn't that weird? There wasn't any true vision loss, but it was an effect similar to how we feel, quote, blind right after we go into a dark room after being outside. Ah, okay. But I mean, but it could last for 15 minutes. Yeah, I mean, that might be a little hyperbolic. And like, if you're just going to go to sleep anyway, right after checking your phone, who cares if you're kind of can't see that? Well, well. yeah, it might be a problem. in the Well, yeah. I mean, if you have blackout <laughs> curtains, would it be a problem in the morning? I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, I think about the times that I'm looking at a phone ever with one eye. And usually it's like first thing in the morning if I'm checking status. Yeah, or something. I always try not to look at. Because I sleep with a mask, and sometimes when I'm stumbling to the bathroom in the morning or something, I have to go mm-hmm. into the light. I try to keep my mask on. Once in a while, I'll 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 peek out one eye, but that always gives me a headache. And maybe nah. it's because one eye is adjusting to the light and the other one's not. So, d- yeah, keep your eyes like on the same keel. It's it's definitely your eyes don't like to be doing two different things. That really messes up your brain. So, well, I mean, <laughs> you know, really, if you're a fan of Metallica, you're screwed. You know, sleep with one eye open, keeping your pillow tight. I mean, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So this is from Mark's Daily Apple, article number two here. Well, just real quick. I mean, yeah. like with the blindness thing, like there's no, it's not a smartphone problem. You just need to look at it with both eyes. Like, I mean, it's a very simple. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of a. Kind yeah. Of a Apple doesn't thing. need to do anything about it. Google doesn't need to do anything about it. It's anyway, all about yeah. the balance. You know, like when you do yoga, you do the left side and the right side and then you go usually you do the right side first but then you do the left side like everything is done on both sides right and it feels weird when you've done one side and not the other yet right but then eventually it all comes back into balance anyway this is from mark sisson's blog and here's a picture of mark on the beach carrying two jugs of water with his abs oh god i'm so jealous um (laughs) very famous paleo blogger anyway yeah um and he's been in the fitness industry in general for like Oh, decades. Oh, like 40 years or yeah. 30 years or something yeah, yeah, yeah. anyway. So um, our cell phones and EMFs, EMFs are electromagnetic fields, like the ones that are created by Wi-Fi and microwaves and lights and Well, by anything electric. Anything electronic. And even yeah. your heart actually generates an EM, an EM field. But yes. But that's, that's a whole other story. So. Yes. And EMFs are one of these buzzwords, these kind of woo-woo buzzwords, because like, yeah, the earth has an electromagnetic field. The sun has one. Like, right. There are natural, quote unquote, EMFs. It's just that people are concerned about the unnatural ones, like from computers and screens and so forth. Yeah. Anyway, are cell phones and EMFs really harming your health? Asks Mark Sisson. Um, 
I've covered GMOs twice, organic foods and pesticides, and he links to his previous articles, which are all all generally good. I like his website. Today, he says, I'm tackling another hot button issue, the dangers or lack thereof of modern electronics, specifically mobile devices and the effects of electromagnetic fields, EMFs. Obviously, the way we use electronics has impacted our lives in both positive and negative ways. Positives include greater dissemination of knowledge, democracy. The democratization <laughs> of communication. Eh, I don't know about that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when it's all controlled by these centralized companies. Right. Uh, economic growth. And yes, that's good. And increased opportunities for people in far flung locales like New Hampshire, <laughs> where we're broadcasting <laughs> from, and otherwise oppressive situations to learn about and impact the world. Without modern electronics, I wouldn't be able to do what I do, and you wouldn't be able to read this. That's fairly unassailable. But from brain cancer to bone loss to sperm mutations to behavioral problems, EMFs, a byproduct of many electronic devices, have been blamed for many health problems. What does the evidence say? And if there are real issues, what can we do to mitigate them? How far should we go? If you're already pretty versed in primal living, he says, you're probably already familiar with the non-EMF-related costs to staying too plugged in. More reliance on digital life, not enough on real life. Lack of close physical contact. Why meet up for coffee when you can just follow a person on Facebook? Excessive use of cell phones compromise our posture, the dreaded tech neck. Or text neck, he says. I've heard tech neck, but yeah, he says yeah. text neck. Yeah, which means like you're constantly looking, looking down. Looking down, your head is heavy, your head neck right. is not meant to hold and it so up. And so you end up like a hunchback. Yeah. (laughs) Blue light emitted by electronic screens interferes with melatonin secretion at night and disrupts circadian rhythm. Those drawbacks have more to do with us, how and when we use and rely on technology. It may be hard to disengage from social media and reclaim real life or remind yourself to fix your posture when texting, but nothing physically prevents us. It can be done, and just about everyone agrees that there are real issues with our use of technology. But what about the physiological ramifications of regular exposure to electronic and magnetic fields emitted by the electronic devices in our lives? And then he goes on, cell phones and brain cancer. A large new study on brain cancer and cell phones in Australians was just released. Researchers examined three decades worth of data looking for correlations between cell phone use and the rate of brain cancer, and they didn't find any. Among men but not women, cell phones were associated with a tiny but insignificant increase in brain cancer. The most notable increase found in adults aged 70 to 84 began in 1982 before cell phones even existed. So probably not too bad. Okay. Um, All in all, he says, uh, and he he gives a bunch more evidence. You can read the article. We'll link it in the show notes. But he says all in, I'm skipping over some here. All in all, I'm not too worried about brain cancer and cell phones. On the scale of things that will kill you, brain cancer is pretty rare. Primary brain cancer, which starts in the brain as is presumably and is presumably caused by cell phones, is far more rare than metastasized brain cancer, which starts elsewhere and spreads to the brain. Um, except when it isn't, of course, which is true for everything. Sure. But brain cancer isn't the only thing people worry about. There's other concerns, cell phones and bone density. A couple of studies have found that keeping your smartphone in your pocket on one side may modestly accelerate hip bone loss on that one side. 
compared to people without mobile phones, mobile phone users had lower bone mineral content and bone density in the right trochanter, the part of the femur that attaches to the hip. Another study gathered 150 mobile phone using men and separated them according to which pocket they held their phones in. <laughs> group one wore them on the right side, group two on the left. They looked at bone quality in the right hip using group two as a non-exposure control. On average, subjects wore their phones on the hip for 14.7 hours every day. Those with exposures showed signs of slightly degraded bone quality, albeit not as severe as osteoporotic patients. Ah, that's interesting. That is interesting. Um, I, you know, it's I, still a correlation. They haven't established a causal mechanism for it either. Yeah, I mean, I've heard too that like your cell phone. Somebody did a study that said it lo- lessened sperm count. You know, that's the next thing. Cell phones and fertility. Men can vouch for this. Our boys are sensitive. They need careful handling, almost coddling. A lot can go wrong down there. So when you ask me a place to place a consistent source of EMF directly adjacent to them, I wonder if that's a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For years, famous strength coach Charles Poliquin has insisted his athletes keep their cell phones out of their pockets to maintain optimal testosterone levels. Tim Ferriss ran an N equals one self experiment on the effects of carrying a cell phone in his pocket, finding that it definitely degraded his sperm count and quality. Wow. Researchers have wondered if the cell phone is a modern man's nemesis. Studies have found links between time spent carrying a cell phone in your pocket and erectile dysfunction, morphological changes to sperm, and reductions in sperm counts. If you ejaculate and then you blast the semen with cell phone radiation, oxidative stress levels go up in individual sperm. The truth is there isn't a lot of solid research one way or the other, but what we have indicates that there is some real effect. So, okay, I mean, myself... I don't terribly care because I never want to have children. Right, um, but it could be bad for you in other ways. It could be bad in other ways. Uh, I'll admit, like, if you are a person concerned about this sort of thing, like, I agree. I am definitely highly concerned about my penis like, at, all, <laughs> at all times. Yes, isn't every This man. is why I don't drink. I don't, I don't smoke weed. I don't yes. do any drugs whatsoever. Most people are not concerned enough about their penis working to forego drinking and smoking. Right. Because drinking and smoking are the worst threats to your penis. Yeah, smoking. Like, smoking definitely causes erectile dysfunction. It damages small blood vessels, just like diabetes. Yep. And the small blood vessels in the penis are needed for erections to happen. Yeah, and then you have stoner boner, which comes... No, by the way, nobody tells you about that. Yeah. Like, they tell you smoking will give you lung cancer, blah, blah, blah. But I think... If people said, hey, uh, pro tip, 13-year-old who's about to start his first cigarette, right? if you keep this up, if you keep smoking for your whole life, eventually your dick's going to stop working. Right. They would, they would be so scared. Would have they freaked would be me scared out. shitless and they would never touch that cigarette. At 14, certainly, <laughs> I, I would have been scared shit. I mean, well, I don't do it anyway. Same thing for women, but, too, by the way, because we have little blood vessels in our clitoris and we get erections of our clitoral tissue just like men do with their penis. Right. So, I mean, cigarettes, stoner boner, whiskey dick. Uh, like, you know, if I'm not ready for an optimal fuck at every given moment of the day, like I am I am not confident. I am not OK. You know, <laughs> and so I love that about you because I'm I feel the same way. Like, I don't. I don't mean to sound like some kind of priss or anything, but I just, I'm not into putting those things in my body that are going to make me feel worse. Yeah. That's why I I try to avoid foods I'm allergic to and I try to eat healthy because, you know, I want to feel healthy and good. Right. I mean, if people want to do that stuff, do it. But I'm just saying that if you are concerned about your cell phone, but, you know, for this reason, but then you're going to go ahead and keep on drinking and smoking and doing whatever else. Your priorities uh, might be need a reality check a little bit. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's my point with that. 
More coming up. Listener email. Sex segment. Oh, right on cue. Here Perfect. we are. We actually did take like a three-second break that time. Yeah, about three seconds. Was that enough for you, Brian? Yeah, I will say, I think, if I remember reading that article with Sisson that we got to in the last yeah, segment, uh-huh. um, he did talk about that most of the studies done, most of the research done that showed negative effects was on mice. And he he did. He talked about that with mice and brain cancer and like pregnant mice with cell phones. And right. Stuff. And he'll be, and, and I think he concluded with, that things are inconclusive. Like, I think that's his he end point. He did, yeah. It didn't seem to be, like, too concerning. There wasn't any real major stuff. You right. know, and a lot of this, a lot of the concerning stuff is about keeping your phone in your pocket literally all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right yeah. next to your body all day, next to your junk and jewels. You know, the first podcast I ever did, Pork Therapy, my mm-hmm. co-host Mike, every time I would call genitalia junk, he'd be like, it's not junk, it's treasure. <laughs> so, thank you, Mike. I'm going to call it treasure. Well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Keeping uh, your cell phone next to your treasure does not appear to be a good idea. And I don't keep mine in my pocket. Mm-hmm. First of all, I don't have pockets most of the time because I'm wearing pajama pants. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I do my job at home as a voice actor. So, I keep my phone, you know, not right directly next to my body. Right. Which I think is probably a good idea. And sometimes at night when I go in my room, I plug it in in a different room to charge yep. up and just don't. Because why do you need it in the middle of the night? You don't. Yeah, generally not. Uh, I mean, I, I what I want to say, I well, two points, I guess, real quick. The one point is, is that Mark Sisson will be the first person to tell you that studies on mice, humans are not mice. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and you need to take those often with a grain of salt. Uh, yeah, because, absolutely. And, and and not only paleo people like Mark Sisson, but like vegetarians and vegans, they they make the same claim. They're like, look, all of these health studies on what you should be eating are based upon mice, and we are not mice. I mean, so whatever spectrum you are on various, uh, you know, some would say extreme diets, right? You all kind of, you know, generally people agree we're not mice. Yeah, uh, it's so, true. I mean, the biggest difference being the size. Mm-hmm. You know, like if there's a if there's a fixed dose of EMF radiation from a cell phone, the cell phone is bigger than a mouse. Yeah, it's body wide. The cell for the phone mouse. is yeah. one one hundredth or thousandth of our body volume, right. right? So, like, you know, there's a huge size difference. We can probably absorb a lot more and be just fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, my second point, just fast, is that like the the dream device that I want. I don't want to get rid of my computer. I don't want my smartphone to replace my computer. I want my smartphone to be replaced by a smartwatch. Okay, like that I wear around oh my boy. wrist. I'm start and, on this again. Well, I'm just I'm just saying, I'm just putting it out there that I think smartwatches can do everything that the smartphone can. Uh, and so there's no reason not to go that direction. And if there's health concerns, it's just another one. All there right. you have it. Well, there there you go. Um, Brian, we've got a listener email All right. that I think we should get to. And then coming up, how did Subarus become known as the car for lesbians? We're going to find out. All right. Yeah, and some would say that the correct Japanese pronunciation is Subaru, not Right, something Subaru. like that, yeah. That's like an American butchering of their name. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we got a listener email. What do you do when someone becomes noncommittal, someone you like becomes noncommittal? Here's, here's the gist of it. Okay. I met a guy at a festival this summer, and he seemed really cool. We got along well, and we hooked up while we were at the festival. Afterwards, we were texting each other, and I found out that he doesn't live too far away from where I live. I wanted to see him again, and I wanted to go on a date, but he wasn't asking. He was just texting me about random stuff. So finally, I asked him if he wanted to meet, and he became vague and noncommittal, saying he guessed that would be cool and not really taking any action to make any specific plans. I was really turned off. I want someone to be as excited about me as I am 
am about them. And at that point, it seemed like I was way more interested than he was. What should I do? Yeah. Right. I, yeah, it's kind of kind of a bummer. You know, like, I, I, I feel you there, listener, because I have experienced the same thing. And it is very frustrating when you're when, you know, you're excited about someone and they're just like, Meh, I don't know, whatever. They're kind mm-hmm. of vague. They're not really like sure. Like, it's like, come on, what are you doing? Like, I want a clear answer. I want. So-. And everybody wants to feel wanted and wants to have somebody that's excited about them. Right. Oh, you want enthusiasm. Yeah. In any, in any interaction, Everybody not just relationships, that. you want enthusiasm. And if there's a lack of enthusiasm, walk away. You know, like, I, I mean. So you think, she, you think she should just forget about him? I would. I mean, you know, and there's not, it's not like that person's doing anything wrong or the other person's doing anything wrong. Yeah. It's just, okay, there's no enthusiasm. Let's move on. You know, let, let's go where there is some enthusiasm. Yeah. I guess, like, what should I do? That's a little, I'm not really sure what she means by that, but mm-hmm. I mean- I can see that she was excited about him at one point. I'm not sure if she's saying like, sh- well, I guess, I guess the choice would be move on or try to get him interested or excited or how should she respond or something. But um, I would say I'm with you, Brian. Like yeah. if you, if you get that noncommittalness or um, non excitement from someone at the beginning of a relationship, you know, d- just, you're already not too invested. It's probably time to walk away. I yeah. mean, it takes time to build up trust with someone and it's tempting to, you know, you meet someone, you hit it off, you're together for a few days at maybe like an event or a festival if you're traveling or something like that. Um, it's tempting to think, oh yeah, like we've become fast friends and now it's now it's going to be like that forever. But some people they're almost like on another planet when they're on vacation, you know, and then when they get back to their real life, they act very differently, especially when it comes to hookups. And some people can fool you into thinking that they're cool and that they're nice for a few days, but then like they kind of show their true colors after that. So, yeah, well, I I have, and I'm not saying this applies here because I can understand a person not wanting to be patient and, you know, have to wait to find out if somebody is, you know, the the right stuff. Yeah. Uh, Obviously we talked last week. We don't believe in love at first sight. Um, But you know, I, I recommend usually like it takes a year to really know somebody, Yeah, you know, to I find agree. out if they're a sociopath or not. Okay. <laughs> not saying that the person, whoever this is with, you know, is, is a sociopath. It takes, but, well, it takes time to build up trust. That's yeah. what you're saying, right? Like, right. and there's nothing that can accelerate that. You really just have to experience being around someone for, like, I would say a year is a, is a great time frame to get, yeah. really get to know someone because well you can, enough I don't to know think, if you'd want to date them. Right. You can't fake it. After like, like, I, I I don't think you can fake it that long. Like the cracks start to show. I mean, you got to be open to seeing them, but I think that's when you can make a conclusive case. Absolutely. Like if you know someone for a year and you like at first, maybe you had kind of a crush on them, but then you spend some time with them and you start seeing patterns like they have a lot of um, people who they've had falling outs with. And it's always the other guy's fault. Everyone else is an asshole. Right. And I did nothing wrong. That's a red flag. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, If you. If if the person you've known them for a year and they've never lived in the same place for more than a week, you know, and they've they're constantly like changing jobs and they're constantly like living somewhere different and they don't seem to be, you know, like taking life too seriously like that could be a red flag if that's not what you want too. Yeah. If you don't want to travel around the world and stuff. Yeah. So you can get to know someone's personality and not only see if you're compatible with them, but also see if they show 
you know, certain red flags of being able to maintain a stable relationship for a long time, if that's what you're looking for. Yeah. And if they, if their life in general doesn't have stability in it. Right. Uh, then you how know, could then, they have a stable relationship? Right. That should yeah, be yeah. a pretty clear sign. Um, I, you know, and I'll say this, and I'm not saying that this is right, but I will say that I, there have been point, points in my life in the past where I've engaged in such behavior. There are, you know, I... You mean like you met a girl at a festival or event and then you like you were hooking up and then you didn't call her afterwards or something? No, or? no, 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 okay. not that. Not that. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I guess maybe kind of, but not not exactly that. The, the point I, I want to bring up is that a lot of conferences, I used to go to a ton of tech conferences. I used to have to go to a bunch of shows and, you know, and all this different, you know, business trade shows, trade shows yeah. and, and all that. And for the life of me, I can't really figure out why. The, these events are so popular and why they're held and because the, they're hookup events because everybody's it. cheating on their spouses and yeah <laughs> you hit it that that is the eventual conclusion that i came to because we never made a contract there and the contract like, yeah the know, company's paying for you to take a vacation and go cheat on your husband or wife right we be never better, did right? a deal or anything like that <laughs> i i swear the whole reason to do it is to just get away for your from your humdrum life and and to go and and go fuck Quite frankly. And I think there's a lot of people that, you know, that engage in that and that do that. And, uh, uh, you know, I've done that where I've gone, you know, and I had, say, two, three days of a good time, you know, with with a lady or two. And uh, and then, you know, but after I after I got back home, you know, whatever, like, I I mean, I'm not saying I'm that kind of an asshole of a guy. I'm just I mean, I think that some of them were engaged in that, too. Well, at that uh, time, you were probably in an unhappy relationship that you weren't right. quite sure how to get out of. And we all figure that stuff out as we get older. I don't like that is not something you would do now. Right. Like well, we we go to conferences together and we're going for the conference. We're not going to like meet people to cheat on each other with, you know? Yeah. But I think it takes time for people to realize like in any time there's like a new there's something new coming like Bitcoin conferences or something like that. It takes people a little while to realize like, wait a minute, why why do these things keep getting held? But nothing's actually changing or nothing's happening or like how come the company that was here you know uh, uh, two months ago now suddenly that company no longer exists anymore and all this stuff uh, i mean what what people real you know they, they never gone to them before or anything they don't realize what it's all about and it's really all about some guys with some degree of money getting a bunch of people coming there so that honestly i think many times they they, they can either you know uh, they they can hook up with somebody. It's all about this hookup thing. And I think there's a lot of people that go to a lot of different festivals and conferences. And that's the whole point is to find somebody new to fuck. Okay. They don't want to do anything outside of that. Y- yeah. You know. and, and then like them having being at the same conference as you, it's like a catalyst, right? It's like, oh, we have something in common. We're at exactly. the same conference. We're interested in this thing. Right. You cut to the about. chase very quickly. Uh, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not saying that either person here is either doing that or that they're doing something wrong. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that there, that is certainly for some people, that is the name of the game when going to these events. That's, that's, that's my point. Yeah. But I mean, like, where else are you supposed to, like in, in defense of people who meet at conferences and hook up or then go on to date or whatever, Mm -hmm. like if you're really passionate about something like Bitcoin or whatever, or, you know, like maybe voice acting or something else, like where else are you supposed to meet partners? Like, wouldn't that be a good pool of potential partners? You would think it is. Yeah. Um, And and, and to that question, I don't have a very good answer. Honestly, Amazon killed the ability to find a good date. Amazon? Yeah, because they destroyed, they killed the bookstore. That that was the place. Uh. Like you don't want to go to church. I mean, those people are insane. You know. Uh, you know. It, it, 
The well, books, you don't want to meet your partner at church, but yeah, maybe but the, some people out there would. But the bookstore was perfect. You'd go to the science fiction section. And what, what about a, the gym? Uh, even that that can get kind of the gym's trying, There's too many meatheads. I have You've, I have met yeah I've met someone at the gym and he was a meathead. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and you don't want to do it at the store. Don't go to the store and hit on people. They're just there to get some fucking groceries. Leave them alone. All right. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Okay. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. But but the bookstore was perfect because whatever you were into, other people naturally congregated to that section of the bookstore of books that you're interested in, be it history, science fiction, whatever. And you could, oh, you know, I, I mean, it was the best and it's gone largely. I mean, there's boutique shops, but. Ah, uh, fuck Amazon. Well, the big fist raised into the sky, uh, but please go to shop.sexandspice.org. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not mad at them in general for that. I'm just saying, I like, I, I like ebooks a lot. Um, I'm just saying that it definitely ruined the place kind of, kind of to go or even the comic book shop. I mean, oh man, it's just wonderful. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of people lamenting the the troubles with online dating and stuff now. And it, I have some, I have a lot of sympathy for that. Like it is, it is hard. I think a lot of people on online dating sites don't like, aren't really into finding a real relationship. Like there's a lot of just flakes and fakes out there and there's a lot of like catfishing and you can get caught up and, it's hard out there. It's a jungle out there. It's a jungle out there, folks. <laughs> I, you know, I've, urban jungle. As far as meeting people, I know this is not what the person asked about, but as far as meeting people, I've always had the most success with like just doing things that I like to do and putting myself out there in the form of a podcast or a blog or whatever social media. Right. And then, like, people kind of gravitate to you if that makes sense, and compatible people. You know, if yeah. you just show your personality off, like you'll attract people. I guess. Yeah, I you know, and and I do want to say too that like for the You'll attract the, weirdos too, but yeah, you'll attract yeah. people you want to hang out with too. For the guy in this situation, I like I said, I'm not necessarily saying he did something wrong, but I do what I do think is wrong is if you don't say, you know, like I mean there's one thing like I don't have time. I have people message me constantly. Not not for a hookup or anything. I'm just saying that the, I have people message me all the time. And it's like, you know, I don't have the time to have a conversation. I just don't. And so at the very least, be cordial and just say, yeah, I'm sorry. I just don't have, you know, I'm, I'm very, just explain. Like, I don't, I don't think that, especially if you, if you stoop the person, I don't think it's out. Oh, you're out, talking to the guy. Yeah. The, talking to the guy. I don't think it's, that, right. I don't think it's outlandish for that guy that, that he should go ahead and say, look, I'm so sorry. I just, I don't have time in my life for this. I had a wonderful yeah. time or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just be straightforward. I know. I wish people would be just more straightforward. Gosh, All the time. It's so... I, I've done that before. I've been like super straightforward and it's really hard for people to do that back sometimes. Sure. Or like it with be you, it worked out really well. I just told you that I liked you and you were like, Hey, me too. Let's get together. Yeah, that was perfect. You know, but, <laughs> It worked but, out really well, but it doesn't always work out well. Sometimes I've told people I, I was interested in them or I liked them and it didn't go well. And they're like, well, I'm not sure. And they just like, couldn't, they weren't as upfront as I was. And it, it can be hard out there. So I'm sending the listener some empathy. Um, I think with this person, it's probably time to move on. Just ignore him. You you know, and yeah. if he if he gets back to you later and chats you about some random shit, just keep ignoring him. And until the only thing I think that could redeem this person is if he said, look, I'm so sorry. Like, I yep. um, I would like to hang out with you. I was distracted when you were messaging me or whatever. Um, like, let's make plans now. Um, I'm sorry I didn't follow up on it right then. I was this is what was going on. But it's I think it's unlikely that that is going to happen. So probably the best thing is just to move on. And if you get surprised, 
then that'll be a bonus, right? If if he yeah. does like apologize and and say, "Hey, let's make plans. I would really like to see you." That will be a bonus, but if you if you're not expecting that to happen, then you can't be disappointed, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that apology would be the expression of enthusiasm that you're looking for. Yeah. yeah. There's got to be reciprocity, man. You yep. know, like when you it sucks when you do all the work, when you're the one doing all the work and feeling all the excitement and the other person's just like, "Oh, whatever." You know, like yeah. you feel like you're chasing after. I hate that myself. So Yeah, absolutely. And I've been there so empathy to you listener hope it works out yeah sorry to hear it now how did subarus become known as the car for lesbians this is also from the atlantic which they have great articles today we've utilized a couple of them and this is really interesting by alex mayas mayasi how Subarus came to be seen as the cars for lesbians. The reputation isn't just a stereotype. It's the result of a calculated, highly progressive ad campaign that was launched 20 years ago. How did they do that without Facebook? I was told you cannot <laughs> have a targeted campaign without Facebook. It was impossible. Well, they did it with a wink and a nod. Unbelievable. This is really interesting. So, I am shocked. This is so. This is a great case study. So that was the question faced by... Uh, oh, sorry. How do you advertise a car that journalists describe as sturdy if drab? That was the question faced by Subaru of America executives in the 1990s. After the company's attempts to reinvigorate sales by releasing its first luxury car and hiring a hip ad agent to introduce it to the public failed, it changed its approach. Rather than fight larger car companies over the same demographic of white 18 to 35-year-olds living in the suburbs, executives decided to market their cars to niche groups, such as outdoorsy types, who liked that Subarus could handle dirt roads. In the 1990s, Subaru's unique selling point was that the company increasingly made all-wheel drive standard on all its cars. When the company's marketers went searching for people willing to pay a premium for all-wheel drive, they identified four core groups who were, who were responsible for half of the company's American sales. Teachers and educators, here's the four groups, teachers and educators, healthcare professionals, IT professionals, and outdoorsy types. Then they discovered a fifth lesbians. <laughs> when we did research, says Tim Bennett, who was the company's director of advertising at the time, when we did research, we found pockets of the country like Northampton, oh, our favorite place, Northampton, Mass. Oh, is like, I love Northampton. That is referred to by some as the lesbian capital of the world. <laughs> Bravo. Northampton, Mass, and Portland, Oregon, another lesbian town, uh, <laughs> where the head of the household would be a single person and often a woman. When marketers talked to these customers, they realized that the women buying Subarus were lesbians. <laughs> wow. There was such an alignment of feeling, like Subaru cars fit with what they did, says Paul Poo, who later conducted focus groups for Subaru. The marketers found that lesbian Subaru owners liked that the cars were good for outdoor trips and that they felt they were good for hauling stuff without being as large as a truck or SUV. They felt that it fit them and it wasn't too flashy, says Poo. Subaru's strategy called for targeting these five core groups and creating ads based on their appeal to each. For medical professionals, it was that a Subaru with all-wheel drive could get you to the hospital in any weather condition, and that is totally true. That's fine marketing. Lots of doctors I know drive Subarus. Especially in New Hampshire. For rugged individualists, it was that a Subaru could handle dirt roads and haul gear. That's for, why I love them. For lesbians, it was that a Subaru fit their active low-key lifestyle. Now, not every lesbian... <laughs> likes to go hiking and camping and has a low-key active lifestyle. But enough of them do that it's kind of, you know, a stereotype, I guess, of certain types, subtypes sure. of lesbians, I suppose. And, you know, I could see how that, that works. 
Although it was easier to get senior management on board with making ads for hikers than lesbians, says the article, the company went ahead with the campaign anyway. It was such an unusual decision and such a success that it helped push gay and lesbian advertising from the fringes to the mainstream. People joke about lesbians' affinity for Subarus. Yeah, they're sometimes called lesbarus, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People joke about lesbians' affinity for Subarus, but what's often forgotten is that Subaru actively decided to cultivate its image as a car for lesbians. Now, or keep, it, go, keep going. And it did so at a time when few companies would embrace or even acknowledge their gay customers. Yeah. That's the big deal. Yeah. Talking with people involved in Subaru's 1990s marketing campaign, the constant refrain is how different the environment was back then. I can't emphasize enough that this was because there was any positive... This was before there was any positive discussion of LGBT issues, says Tim Bennett. Gay causes seemed to be on the losing side of the culture war. The Clinton administration had just instituted Don't Ask, Don't Tell regarding homosexuality in the military. And in 1996, Congress passed the Defense of Marriage Act. Pop culture had also yet to embrace the LGBT cause. Mainstream movies and TV shows with gay characters like Will and Grace were still a few years away, and few celebrities were openly gay. When Ellen DeGeneres became a rare exception in 1997 and her character Ellen um, in the show came out as gay in an episode of the sitcom, many companies pulled their ads. Right. We don't think it's a smart decision to be advertising in an environment that is so polarized. A spokesperson for Chrysler explained after that company pulled its ads from the Ellen show. The environment around this is so angry. We feel we lose no matter what we do. Well, or go ahead. At that time, gay-friendly advertising was largely limited to the fashion and alcohol industries. When a 1994 IKEA ad featured a gay couple, the American Family Association, a nonprofit, mounted boycotts and someone called in a bake a fake bomb threat on an Ikea store. Yeah. So the point is, is that this was a bit, this, this was a controversial, was like yeah. serious move. The thing is not for the Japanese, the Japanese LGBT issues. They're not even an issue for the Japanese. Mm. And they haven't been for hundreds of years. Like really? it's, it's, it's not, it's not a problem. I because mean, you, well, some of their main heroes are hermaphrodites. I mean, like, like there's there huh. sexuality. I mean, yes, there is a, there is a odd conservatism in Japan, mm-hmm. or at least there has been historically. No question about that. Uh, you know, pixelated uh, you know right. treasure yeah. <laughs> of junk uh things like this okay but that was them you have to understand that any sexual conservatism in japan came out of the magi era okay which is about 100 150 years ago and it was based upon an obsession with victorian supposed victorian ethics right which is glorifying white british people right, right? <laughs> japanese didn't have a problem with they don't yeah. have a problem with sex they only started having any kind of problem because they saw the west right, right? so now <laughs> so but but today Damn white people right but today a lot of that's falling away and and for decades at, at least i mean and, and there's a rape culture in japan and all that i, I readily admit to that i'm just saying that in japan lesbianism gays transvestite you know all this different stuff not not an issue over there uh you know so so i that's why they could be so far ahead of the game because they're not a part of western culture and good you know (laughs) well they actually comment on this in the article um subaru's marketing team hired um i guess a japanese advertising firm and pitched Subaru's Japanese management on ads for lesbian customers. Right. Writing in the Huffington Post, the reporter Ron Dicker, 
<laughs> captured some of the cultural confusion that followed. He, and this is a quote from this other article. When one Subaru ad man proposed the gay targeting ads in talks with Japanese executives, the executives hurriedly looked up gay in their dictionaries. After reading the definition, they nodded at the idea enthusiastically. Who wouldn't want happy or joyous advertising? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they would have minded it either way. I mean, yeah, yeah. we're talking about the country of tentacle porn. Come on. <laughs> so, you know, but I want to say something else if I if I can on on this whole thing. Like this is really refreshing. Yeah. Uh, that 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 this that this marketing happened because, you know, uh, what what's the hot car right now, right? The electric car? Is it? Well, I, I think in I a lot know. of people's minds, touch. well, I think in a lot of people's minds that's the hot thing, you know, mm-hmm. Tesla, Faraday Future and all these different companies. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, the electric car, the reason the real reason the electric car never took off in my opinion mm-hmm. has to do with the with with uh, cultural mores it has to do with which is exactly you know what subaru bunked to to be able to to sell you know their cars to lesbians and all that mm-hmm. it came from the fact you had this this one guy kind of a futurist back in back in the early 20th century uh, carl claudie mm-hmm. who said that the electric car because guess what folks there were electric cars back then yeah there okay. were <laughs> uh was great for women hmm Tanked the whole damn field. Now, yes. he meant it as an insult because he said it was great for women because, oh, it didn't require a lot of mechanical work to be done on it. And it didn't have great long range. But then how far do women need to travel right. anyway? They're just going shopping, running right. errands. It's great for that. Exactly. Uh, and so, and then it became known as a car for women, and right. that meant that nobody wanted it. Yeah, so there's a part of me... It, the guys didn't want to be seen as effeminate. Right, exactly. So there's a part of me that wants to rip on every guy that loves his Tesla <laughs> and say, what, are you driving a girl's car? You know, I mean, obviously as I don't buy would, into as that. As if that would be a bad thing, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and I might end up doing that anyway. But but my point being is that how great that somebody comes in here and, and, and starts yeah market to fucking women and do it with something that's functional that's not pink for once uh you know and just respects <laughs> right. women for what they are i think it's beautiful I, like i really think it's a wonderful thing so so how did they do it and how did they walk the line in the 90s without pissing people off but while giving giving the message off um they said the car maker's role um one of these one of the reasons that these days Subaru's own role in cultivating their lesbian friendly image is less well known is that so many straight people were blind to the subtext of their advertisements mm-hmm. at first they hired women to portray lesbian couples in their ads but the ads didn't get good reactions from lesbian audiences what worked were winks and nudges one campaign showed Subaru cars that had license plates that said Xena lover a reference to Zeno, <laughs> Zena the Warrior Princess, a TV show whose female protagonists seemed to be lovers. Oh, Lucy Lawless and <laughs> Gabrielle there. Yep. Yeah. Or P-Town, a moniker for Provincetown, Massachusetts, a popular LGBT vacation spot. Many ads had taglines with double meanings. Get out and stay out could refer to exploring the outdoors in a Subaru or coming out as gay. <laughs> it's not a choice. It's the way we're built. Could refer to all Subarus coming out with all-wheel drive or with LGBT identity. Each year we've done this, we've learned more about our tar- target audience. Uh, we found that playful coding is really appreciated by our customers and they like deciphering it. And they said they did get a, back, a little bit of a backlash from this, but most of the people who wrote in were not actually their customers. They would misspell Subarus on their complaint letters and <laughs> things like that. So Got complaints from the dum-dums. Anyway, that's how Subarus became uh, lesbian cars. Bravo, Isn't Subaru. Isn't that interesting? Alright, thank you for tuning in. Join us for the after show. It's coming up. If not, see you next week. Sexandsciencehour.com. 
You've just heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over. Play again next week. After show, still waiting for Brian to uh, join us back again. Oh, here he comes. <laughs> we just hit record and then we roll. Yeah, that's fine. All right. So the I'm point live. of the after the show. Toilet? No. Oh. No. Okay. Good. All right. Did you wash your hands? Oh, that's disgusting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Um, anyway, so we do a show, and you know it's fun to do the show, but we also like to make money. And our plan for this is eventually we have a master plan um, is to do sex and science hour uh, retreats where we record a bunch of shows, maybe even have a listener party, and we're trying to build up enough uh, show income to be able to do it at remote locations. Right now, we're just doing it in our normal studio. Yeah, like I was saying. Eventually, we could take the show on the road, and wouldn't that be nice? And for- we'll do that by you just doing your normal shopping on Amazon through shop. Stuff. Uh, sorry, fuck. Stuff. 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 Stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Stuff, like a clam. Yeah. So, like what? <laughs> like a stuffed clam? Yeah. Like a stuffed lobster? No, like a stuffed clam. Okay. <clears throat> Is that going over your head or anything? No, or? it's not going All over right. my head. I'm just past the point where I find those kind of jokes funny. <laughs> it is kind of funny, actually. Uh, I still watch Power Rangers. <laughs> Stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. That's right. And, uh, you know, it's it's an easy way. You can also send us tips directly. I mean, we take Bitcoin. We have a Bitcoin address in all of our shows. Yeah. Um, you can send us PayPal through our website. If you go to sexandsciencehour.com, you can send us money through PayPal. And we do really appreciate that. But we know that, like, people don't really donate. You know, like, you have to make it... You have, first of all, you have to have an outstanding show, which I think we do in a lot I'd of like ways. I think it is. I, I think it's different than a lot of other things out there. Some sure. people say we're their favorite podcast. Yep. So, you know, there's that. I think we have great content to inspire people to want to contribute back because we contribute to them. And then you have to make it easy. And... Like people don't want to, it's hard enough for people to get up the activation energy to send a Bitcoin tip or send a PayPal tip once, let alone every week or something. Yeah. But if all you have to do is go to stuff.sexandsciencehour.com and bookmark the Amazon affiliate link that's there. And then every time you go to Amazon, you'll be going through our link and you'll be giving us a little spiff every time you do your shopping. That's easy. Yeah. And you can feel like you're doing a good deed. And not only that, you can be a guest star on our after show. Yeah, you effectively become a part of the show. So it's a win-win for everybody. So <laughs> I'm I'm happy with how it's going so far, I guess. I mean, we could, we we definitely need to be boosting our income a little bit, a lot. Okay, we're like 5 to 10%. We hover yeah. between like 5 to 10% of our weekly goal for what we'd like to be making. But, you know, we know it's going to take a while to build up. And that's fine. And in the meantime, we're having fun. But um, we encourage you to join our join our fun party, be That's on right. our after show, and shop through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Now, what did people get through 
uh, that link, stuff.sexandsciencehour.com, yeah. this week. Well, we had a return. So this when this happens, we, we backslide. We get negative advertising fees from this. Somebody returned a belt, like a men's belt, that they bought the other week. And so we got negative. We had to pay Amazon back a dollar ten for that. Really? Yes. What? We had a return. Maybe it didn't fit. No big That's deal. That's okay. No, it's, it's no, totally it's fine. It's no big yes. deal. I mean, what are you going to do if you buy something it doesn't fit? You got to send it back. Yeah, That's yeah, totally yeah, no yeah, problem. Yeah. But I just thought it was funny because like the first thing that showed up in our list was this negative thing. <laughs> like, oh shit, we're making negative money doing the show. Yeah. So <laughs> no. if you do, if you do buy something through the link and then you return it, we have to refund that that fee. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no big deal. So what else did people get? Well, um, we actually have a, a story. There was a, some phone accessories that we talked about last week, I think, on the show. And there was also another thing that was purchased this week. It was a, a two-pack of Mr. Shield for Asus Zenfone Max, uh-huh. tempered glass screen protector with a lifetime replacement warranty. This is a thing you get when you don't want your screen to shatter basically. Yeah. And we ha- actually had a listener email in to give us a clue about that. And there, there was also like a phone case that was bought last week that we talked about on the show, a pink, the pink one. one? Yeah. Yes. And we speculated that it was a girl and uh, a guy called me out on that and said, it could be a guy. Well, I, I said it could have been a guy. Yeah, you did. I was the gender stereotyper. <laughs> anyway, this listener wrote in and said, love the review. Once I caught on sex and science, once I caught up on sex and science hour, I went to catch up on sovereign tech this morning and I heard you guys talking about the cult of Mac, which Listen to Sovereign Tech if you want to hear that. It was a couple weeks back. Oh, boy, yeah. Which made me want to relate this story. My wife loves her iPhone, but recently gave it to our 18-month-old son to play with at the store to calm him down from a tantrum. And he promptly chucked it at the hard tile floor and then the screen shattered. (laughs) I love it when people say chucked something. (laughs) This is so funny. Chucked it across the room. Yeah. (laughs) Um, When's the last time you heard someone say upchuck? Like throwing up? I don't know. About two I'm, seconds ago. Yeah. Because you said it. <laughs> okay. Before that. It's been a long time. I think it was time. 20 years ago. Long time. Anyway, he chucked it against the, high, the hard tile floor and the screen shattered. She was kind of excited because she thought that this meant she would get a new phone as her contract was up. However, we're no longer on a subsidized phone plan and we needed to pay for it ourselves. Wah, wah, sad trombone. Mm-hmm. So the SE, the iPhone SE was the best option, but she wanted a 6 Plus with 128 gigabytes of memory. Ooh, that's $1,000. Woo, that's expensive. Yeah. Wow. I, of course, explained all the ways that Android is better, not the least of which is removable memory and battery, as in my Galaxy S5, as well as being waterproof and having a better camera. And in the end, she was still dead set on having an Apple on her phone. So I said, fine, let's go to the Church of Mac so the priest can lay your hands on your... Let's go go to the Church of Mac so priests can lay hands on your phone and heal it. Okay. That's funny. Yeah. The subsequent the subsequent case purchase was selected in rose gold so she could imagine that she has the new SE as the older models didn't have that color option and also in mill grade as to prevent another toddler incident. Very good. Yeah. That, yeah. that thank you for good that call. explanation. That was I guess the uh, the phone has been healed by the the Church of Mac. <laughs> well, all right, well, real quick. Yeah, there was an episode of Cybertech you and I did. I think it's called The Religion of Silicon Valley. That's the name of the episode. Yes, that was just a couple weeks ago, right? Because that new store that Apple built. Now, look, Apple makes some great stuff. I'm not saying they don't. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's the best. I am saying, though, that it's solid. It'll last you a while, yada, yada, okay? As long as your kid doesn't throw it on the floor. Um, but they they made this new store, and it looks like a fucking temple. 
and it acts like everything about that company feels like a religion. And, and, and so that, that's kind of the, the yeah. where the idea of, um, you know, going to the this new video they released, it was really, oh, it's crazy what they had going on there. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I, if they sold Apple robes, I'm sure people would put them on and become monks. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> yes, I, I agree. Yeah. Um, so we got the cam kicks. I don't know what this is. Um, cam kicks wireless Bluetooth camera shutter remote control for smartphones. Oh, nice. It says create amazing photos and selfies. I guess if this is like if you have a selfie stick and your camera is all the way over there, you can click and then it'll take a picture. Or, you know, I could see it being good for nudes. Um, that's true. Yeah, Snapchat. Right and it on. was only $7. No, don't go on six ninety nine. Wow, that's... Don't go on Snapchat. You know, six ninety nine for the for the Switch and, you know, the nude, priceless. That's right. Yeah. That's right. The, the lifetime of memories you'll get from the pictures you take, priceless. I love it. It was probably for something totally innocent, like taking a family photo or something. I know, but it's sex and science hour. <laughs> Gotta make it sexy. Somebody got my favorite wireless, uh, not wireless, it has a wire, but it is a USB mouse, but somebody got my favorite noiseless mouse, which my hand is touching right now. I oh, have this yeah. mouse. I feel a connection to you, listener. It's got 266 customer reviews and 23 answered questions, and it costs 1837 It's the USB noiseless optical gaming computer wheel mouse, 1600 DPI, super quiet, JNL101K black, silent, by nice. JSCO. And that is my favorite noiseless mouse. There's not much to say about it. Just It has a great little scroll wheel, and it's very quiet. I use it for all my audiobook recording at my studio computer. Good mouse. I think I recommended it before. I am always impressed by how quiet something can be. Mm. I mean, for you, it's because you're a voice artist. For me, it's because I'm a ninja. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. Someone got an Amazon gift card, which has 100,000, 106,000 reviews, and they're Five star rated. Wait, what? It's a gift card? Yeah. It's Amazon e gift cards. And you can upload like a photo so you can personalize it, I guess. Oh, I see. And nice. they and they got a hundred and fifty dollar Amazon gift card. That's awesome. And then we and then they we got a commission on it, which thank is awesome. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you very much. Um somebody got a Kindle book called The Journey to Star Wars, The Force Awakens, Lost Stars. Oh, God. And it has an audiobook version, so... This is... I can imagine where this came from. And the audiobook version's good, too. Yeah? You've the, listened to it? Yeah. This, oh. this, is, this is the best Star Wars book on the market today. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, all, all the Star Wars books now are part of the official canon. Um, and this one... In fact, the author, Claudia Gray, she's probably the best Star Wars author next to Timothy Zahn. Uh, I mean, she just... This book is awesome. In fact, it's the only time outside of Shadows of the Empire, which is no longer canon, that I've ever really heard Star Wars talk explicitly about breasts and sex. It is the singular instance of it. Wow. It is a great book. I know Claudia book. Gray is your favorite Star Wars author. Right now she is. Yeah. yeah. She also wrote Bloodlines, which is awesome. Mm. But I'm telling you, you read this book, it changes the way you watch the original trilogy. Wow. It, it, well, it changes the whole Strong saga. Strong words. Uh, it's the best. And it's Very short. Cool. It, it's it's technically like a young adult novel, but emphasis on, on the adult there. <laughs> anyway. Somebody got a... This is really cool. Um, Somebody got a Freeling 0161 2 tablespoon 1810 stainless steel coffee scoop and stir. Huh. So this is a stainless steel thing. 
could be a sex toy. It looks like it could be. Okay. You know, like I could I could see it definitely. I've seen stainless steel dildos and they are amazing. Um anyway, really? yes, All I right. have one and it's really good. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, this is not a dildo. This is a uh, coffee scoop and stir and like one end you scoop the coffee with and the other end you stir it with. Huh. And it's 11 inches long so it easily reaches into a large coffee bag. And stirs the tallest French press. Yes, a likely story, huh? Mm -hmm. It's like the Hitachi magic wand. Have you ever heard the history of that? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. The Hitachi magic wand is still one of the most popular vibrators for women. It's a very, like, (laughs) powerful vibrator. It's not really my thing because I like more subtle vibrators. But um, it's basically it started out in the 1970s being like as a vibrator. Or it was advertised as like a home massager, like where you could massage your back with it, right? Right. But everyone, and they had to do that because you couldn't just like advertise a vibrator in the Sears catalog back right. then. But everybody sort of knew, like, wink, wink, this is actually a vibrator. Oh, I, Hitachi <laughs> knew exactly why. Right. And it, got this, and it yeah. got this reputation where it was being advertised as like, oh, relieves tension, you know, and <laughs> sore say. muscles. And, and everybody knew it was actually a vibrator. And now they make all these, like, attachments for it and, you know, little things that you can put on top of it. But it's one of the best-selling vibrators ever. And people love it. People swear by it. I've tried them. I mean, I liked it. It was good. Um, I probably wouldn't make it my main thing, but I could see i could see how people love it yeah definitely um so if you want to get a hitachi magic wand through our link go for it somebody bought a couple of action figures godzilla movie Uh, (laughs) yes godzilla movie monster x king caesar six inch vinyl figure all right now brian you had a business idea that might be kind of relevant to this oh the Oh, maybe you don't want to talk about it on the show. Yeah. Brian had an idea to make an action figure. I won't say any more than that. So this is one of my favorite Godzilla uh, characters, though, because this is from Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Uh-huh. And this guy, like, just comes out of, you know, when the sun sets in the west or, or however it goes, and then comes out and starts, you know, doing the business. Uh, great, great action figure to get your hands on. Big fan. <laughs> Go Caesar. Um. And somebody bought another Godzilla. Oh, and there's Mecha Godzilla. Yeah, Mecha Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, that was the other one. Yeah, probably my my favorite character of the Godzilla mythos is uh, is Mecha Godzilla. I always uh, I always enjoy that. What's your favorite Godzilla movie? All right, I've been asked about this, so I'm going to say you just real quick. Again. This is it's a it's a relatively recent one, but uh, Godzilla Final Wars is. It is so good. It's a good movie on every metric, in my opinion. The music, everything about it's great. Uh, you watch that, you become a Godzilla fan. Unfortunately, they never really made one to kind of be a sequel to it. Uh, but uh, but Godzilla Final Wars, fantastic. I love that movie. Right on. So, okay. And our last item is this just in. This was just purchased. And the reason I know about it is because I helped advise this purchase. Oh. Uh, you know, girl talk. It was like a little bit of like, yeah, how do you know which one's good? Because, like, when you're buying a sex toy, you don't want to skimp and you want to know that it's going to be good. You yeah. don't spend a bunch of money and then not be able to return it. That's one thing you can't return anywhere. That's true. There's no returns on sex toys. So you got to make sure it's good or else your money's just kind of wasted. So, right. so my friend was talking to me about getting a new rabbit vibrator and rabbits are the things that have the 
dildo part and then they have a vibrator part that looks like bunny ears that goes on either side of your clitoris and it feels really good and you get both at the same time two kinds of stimulation it's really good vibrates a bit yeah it vibrates a bit yeah sometimes the dildo kind of rotates and um they're really cool they do a lot of different things some of them have like 12 speeds and honestly i really don't think you need that but what i was saying to her was don't get a jelly one don't get jelly sex toys in general because Jelly has these things called phthalates Mm -hmm. in it. Phthalates are chemicals that may cause things like cervical cancer or other types of reproductive cancers. They're not good for humans. Usually these these types of toys will come with a package that says for novelty use only, not for insertion or something like that, not for... basically not for putting in your body and if they say that on there it's not just to cover their ass i mean it really means like the stuff hasn't been tested it's really not meant like would you want to buy a product that was to go in inside of your body which on a very absorptive surface like the vagina right mm-hmm. and the vulva those are those are absorptive tissues so they can right. get chemicals leaching into them and stuff um would you want to put something there that the company says, oh, yeah, this is just a gag gift. Don't actually put this in your body. No. no I mean, of course you'd, not. you'd want to take probably uh, do a little more. Um, I, I don't want to say like people who use those toys are not doing due diligence. They usually just don't know that it could be bad for you. But it's always you know, education. Now, you know, um, you don't want to have sex toys that have phthalates in them. Phthalates are plasticizers that make um, that make plastic more like soft, I guess, and, and jelly jelly-like and the jelly toys have a ton of them in them sometimes they smell when you take them out of the package that's how you know it has phthalates in it so phthalates bad this has been known about for like 10 years and now there are lots of sex toys that are phthalate free which is great that's what you want to look for look for a silicone glass or stainless steel those are my recommendations glass and stainless steel don't really have vibrations in them silicone can Or it may not, or it may just be a non-vibrating toy. Um, Glass and stainless steel are great because you can put them in the dishwasher. If you want to share them, you can totally get them sterilized, just like a glass of water or something, you know, like a drinking glass or a plate. Put it in the dishwasher. It's clean. You don't have to worry about any special kind of cleaning it. Just... Maybe if you have roommates, like, don't let them open the dishwasher and find your find your glass dildo in well, there. Well, why not share it, you know? Hey. <laughs> it depends on what kind of relationship you have with your roommate, I guess. Yeah. But <laughs> Maybe it's double-ended. But if you're looking for a vibrator, um, a vibrating toy, silicone is the way to go. Look for phthalate-free silicone. Um, and rabbit toys are really popular because they stimulate both the G-spot and the clitoris. So yeah. my friend ended up settling on... The greedy girl G spot rabbit vibe, and it, it's it's called branded uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, but I'm <laughs> just going to ignore that because I hate Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. All right. Speaking of, that was Fifty Shades of Sex and Science Hour. We're Woo. done for this week. See you next week. We had a little longer show. We'll be back next Friday. I don't know what the future holds, but it's going to be great. Meantime, have a great weekend. Sayonara. Subaru. 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 <laughs> <laughs>